Okay, so we are going to talk tonight about the concept of nisionos, or nisayon, which is tests, um, which is something that all of us know um, that we experience in life in different ways, in different um, situations. And in fact, the very first Yid, Zavram Avinu, and famously really became Avram Avinu and attained that status, if you will, of the first Yid of Kal Yisrael, because of the ten tests that he went through that tested his resolve and tested his commitment to Hashem. Um, the final and greatest test being the Nisayin of the Akedah, which we read about in the Torah a couple of weeks ago in the end of Parshas Vayera. So when it comes to tests, the obvious question is, why? Why does Hashem test us? Why does Hashem test Avram Avinu and Sadikim? And why does He test each and every one of us? What is their significance? So what I'm going to talk about tonight is based on a mimer from the Alter Rebbe um, in the Lukut Torah, um, which is his book of Chassidus and Chumashim, and this is from the Torah portion of Re'ei. So it's based on a mimer of the Alter Rebbe with elaborations from the Tzamach Sadek and from the Rebbe, and that's and we're going to talk about this concept. So, the question of why Hashem tests us is obviously an old question, and the Ramban already talks about it in his commentary to Chumash. Right, we know on Chumash, perhaps the primary commentary is Rashi, but then you have the Ramban, Nachmanides. And the Ramban in Parshas Vayera, when discussing the, um, yeah, someone's asking if it's being recorded, it is. So the Ramban in Parshas Vayera, when discussing the Akedah, um, that uh, Hashem again asks Avram to bring his son up as an offering, and Avram thinks that he's meant to actually sacrifice his son. Of course, that was not the intention. The intention was to test Avram Avinu's resolve. So Ramban asks, so why does Hashem do this? Why does Hashem test us? So of course the simplistic answer to that is to find out, are we, you know, to, to, to check our resolve and find out, will we, um, will we be strong enough to be able to, you know, face those tests? The problem with that question is, the obvious, the, the problem with that answer is that we know that Hashem knows the future. Hashem knows what we're going to do anyway. Um, a basic concept of Yiddishkeit is that Hashem knows the future. And therefore, so why does He have to put us through the whole thing? Why does He have to put us through the test and then see what's going to happen if He really knows what's going to happen? And even though there's the philosophical question about freedom of choice versus Hashem's knowledge of the future, and Rambam talks about that, he says it's one of the hardest philosophical questions for us to deal with, how on the one hand, Hashem gives us freedom of choice, on the other hand, He knows the future. So, without getting into that question, the fact is we believe that, yes, Hashem knows what the future will be, and Hashem knows what the outcome of every test will be. And therefore, the question is, so why go through it? Why make us go through those tests if Hashem knows what's going to be anyway? So, Ramban's approach in Chumash is he says, because true, we have the ability to go through it, and we will go through it, potentially. But he says... Every potential is meant to be actualized. And he says that the schar, the reward that a person will get for actually doing something, is much greater than the fact that potentially they could. So yes, Hashem knows our potential. Hashem knows that we would. But He wants to see not only that we would and that we could, but what we actually do. He talks about the concept of koach versus poel, Koach means potential, Paul means actuality. And he says that the ultimate, um, the ultimate level, the ultimate madrega is always 
when we bring our koach into a poil, when we bring our potential into actuality, and that's what tests are all about, says Rambam. Yes, Hashem knows that Avram is a tzaddik, and Hashem knows Avram is going to pass every test, but He wants him to actually go through the steps, because He says the schar, the reward of passing something, of doing it in actuality, is much greater than just the potential. That's the Ramban's approach. He says it more than once throughout the Chumash, um, his understanding of why Hashem tests us, which is obviously a great answer, an answer of the Ramban. However, however, Hasidus takes it a step further. And Hasidus bases these remarks on a Pasuk in Pashas Re'eh, where it talks there about a very interesting test. It talks about the Navi Sheker. And Pashas Re'eh, the Torah tells us that, you know, we have a mitzvah of, we have Nevi'im, we have prophets, and there's a mitzvah to follow the words of a Navi, and a prophet is someone who looks, who acts like a tzaddik, and is able to prophesy the future, and those uh, prophecies are proven to be true. So there's a mitzvah to listen, to follow the words of a Navi. What if that Navi then goes ahead and starts telling people to do Averas, or to be Ovid Avedizara? So then the Torah is very clearly, he says, don't listen to him. Don't listen. In fact, uh, that's called a Navi Sheker, a false prophet. And when there's a Bezdin, and they have the ability, a false prophet is meant to be put to death. So the question becomes, why did Hashem afford this person spiritual powers? If he's a false prophet, that means he's prophesizing. And it means that he's um, successfully prophesizing and um, exercising spiritual powers and miracles and so on and so forth. And yet he's telling us to do an Avera. And you have to picture this person who looks like a big tzaddik. You know, he's uh, probably a long white beard and a big hat and, he's, and everyone respects them and then they're telling people to do Averas as we've had in our history such people. So the Pasuk itself says, it says, Ki Hashem Elokeichem Eschem Lodas. Hashem is testing you to know, Hayeshchem Oavim Es Hashem. Do you truly love Hashem? In other words, when we have this, this, um, this test that, on the one hand, this person looks so pious and so holy and so prophetic, and nevertheless, the person is doing Averis, it's a test of Hashem, testing us to see, do we truly love Hashem and fear Hashem enough to be able to be strong enough to stand up to this test. So the wording of the Pasuk is that Hashem tests us to know. To know. So Hasidah says, in this Pasuk, the answer of Ramban is not adequate. Because Ramban said Hashem tests us to see if we're going to bring our potential into actuality, which works for the Akedah or other tests, but here the Torah says clearly that Hashem is testing us in order to know. Hashem is testing you to know how much you truly love Him. And therefore the question becomes, back to square one, what does it mean Hashem tests us to know if Hashem obviously knows anyway and knows from the beginning what the outcome is going to be? And therefore what, Has, what, what Hasidah tells us, and again based on the Alter Rebbe's Maimur, he says... <clears throat> then we have to reread the Pasuk a little bit. Not Minasa Hashem Elokechem Eschem Hashem Tesas Ladas that he should know, but Ladas that we should know. He tests us so that we reveal, we get to know our deeper strengths. We get, we get to reveal our deeper strengths when we're tested. And not only we get to know them and, and understand them, but we actually get the power of das, the power of knowledge. What is das? 
And and as we know, Chasidah Sal is from Tanya, that there is the, there's Chachma, there's wisdom, there's Bina, there's understanding, and there's Das. Das, as the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 3 of Tanya, he says the word of Das is connected with Hiskashrus, which means to truly connect to something. Many times we can learn something and learn about something and know maybe the facts, but we're not truly connecting with it. So many times we learn a concept in Torah, a concept in Hasidus about Hashem or whatever, whatever, and we understand it. We, we, we get it intellectually, but we're not connecting to it. And in order for something to really affect us, it only affects us when we're able to connect to it. And that's why Das is called really the go-between, between our Seichel and our Midos, our Seichel, our intellect, and our emotions. In fact, in the Zayar's language, Das is called the key to all six Midos. In the words of the Zayar, Maftecha, it's the key, the Kalil Shis, that includes or opens all the six Midos. Because Das is the ability to truly connect to what we understand. That what we understand doesn't remain something outside of us and something hypothetical or you know just in, in the realm of intellect, but something that connects to us strong enough to change us and to motivate us to actually have feelings about something. Right? When we learn about Hashem enough, it's meant to translate in loving Hashem more, fearing Hashem more, being more devoted to Hashem. That that's only when we connect to what we learn. Says the Mimer. That this is what the Pasuk means. Hashem tests you. In order that through standing up to the Nisiyonis of life, to the test of life, we become recipients of that all-important all sphere of Das. Our connection to godliness and to what we learn and to what we understand, we're able to connect to on a whole deeper level when we're able to withstand the nisoyness of life. But why? Why is it that nisoyin gives us das? Like, what's the connection? How does A equal B? So one had a test, and there's different types of tests, which we're going to get to shortly, um, different how, how Hasidus categorizes the different types of tests we have. Um, there's all different types of tests. But why is it that when we find the inner strength to stand up to a test, that we are a recipient of this great midah of das? What's the connection? How, again, how does standing up to the Nisoyan lead to das? And, and, and the Mimer explains the following very beautifully. Um, going back to something more basic, there's a question that the Arizal already asks. The Arizal asks, why is it that Hashem made that in order for us to sustain ourselves, we need to eat food? Why, 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 why is sustenance through food? And what's interesting is, we know that the way that we break down all the different creations of the world, there's the mankind, which is Medaber, there's the animal kingdom, which is Chai, there's the vegetable kingdom, that which grows, Sameach, and there's the inanimate. Man, Medaber, is the highest of those four categories. Nevertheless, in order for man to live, man needs the lower categories. Right? We live off eating, whether it's animals, whether it's vegetables, or things that grow, or it's water or salt, so Medaber lives off Tzomeach, Medaber lives off Chai, off Domim. Why is that? And the Rizal says, because within everything in this world, there are sparks of godliness. Nitzitzis, sparks of Kedusha. And when we eat it, what we're really doing is connecting to the godliness within that particular thing that we're eating. And that godliness is what we live off. 
And he says, really, it's a Pasuk in the Chumash. The Pasuk says, um, Parshas Ekev, Man doesn't live off bread alone. Man lives off that which comes from Hashem, comes out of Hashem's mouth, so to speak. And that's the Dvar Hashem, the word of Hashem that's in every creation. So when we're eating bread, or when we're eating vegetables, or when we're eating meat, whatever we're eating, or drinking water, we're, we're drinking and eating the physical uh, food that we're eating, but we're connecting to the divine energies in those food. That's what the Arizal says. So Hasidah says, that's nice. We eat in order to connect to the divinity within the food. We have divinity within ourselves. Just like the food has divinity within itself, so do we. So why do we need the divinity in the food? Right? Hashem created me. That means I have a spark of I have the Dvar Hashem within me. Why do I need the Dvar Hashem in the water? Why do I need the Dvar Hashem in the animals? Why do I need the Dvar Hashem in the in the Sameach? And the vegetables. And there he gives, and there the, the Rizal talks about it, Hasidus talks about it, which becomes, a, uh, I guess, a pretty well-known Hasidic idea, that there is a concept, kol ha-gavoa The higher something is, the lower it falls. Which means that the sparks of divinity that fall into an animal are rooted higher than the sparks of divinity that fall into a person. And that fall into vegetables and to water, the sparks of divinity fell lower and lower. That means that they're sourced higher and higher. The uh, the metaphor that Hasidus gives is if you have a if a wall collapses, the highest stones are going to fall the furthest and fall the lowest. So when there was that sprinkling, so to speak, of of divine sparks in this world, they fell everywhere, and the lower they fell is indicative of more powerful and more, more energy-filled divinity. So therefore, the human being, which is higher spiritually than an animal, needs to receive the divine energies that are in the animal because they have certain sparks that are higher than he has within himself. And in the vegetable kingdom and in the water, and that's the concept of kola gavoa biyoser yorid lamata biyoser. The higher something is, the lower it falls. And when we're able to connect to it and bring it into ourselves, we are recipient of the divine energies in the foods that we eat and the things that we partake of. Says Hasidus, if we use that idea, that the further something falls, the higher its source is. So where is the furthest place divinity falls? That's in, in, in places that are negative. And that's in the Nisyanis. The Nisyanis, those tests that test us with things that are negative, things that are forbidden, things that seem to be against Hashem, within them, there's the most powerful sparks of all. The most powerful sparks of spirituality that fell. There's, um, again, a Kabbalistic concept called Shvira Sakelim, when there's the breaking of the vessels, whatever that means exactly, in the beginning of creation. And therefore you have this, this plethora of divine sparks that fall everywhere. Right, Kabbalistically, when Hashem created the world, there was um, 288 basic divine sparks that broke off and fell into all of creation. 288 divine sparks. In fact, it says um, in the beginning of Bereshis, it says uh, when Hashem created the world, right? the Spirit of Hashem is hovering over the worlds. So in, in the words of in, in the Arizal writes, 
that the word mirachefes, if you take the first and last letters, mem and tof, as mace, and the middle is resh peches. Those are the 288 sparks that broke up and fell into all of creation. 288. And then when we left Mitzrayim, it says we left with the Erev Rav. Erev Rav says that Rizal is two, the Rav is Reish Beis is 202. 202 of the 288 initial sparks were elevated in Mitzrayim. And the other 86 is what we've been working on since then. <laughs> Those are 86 sparks that broke up into millions and billions of, of levels in creation. But that's what we've been working on as a people. And of course, the Rebbe told us that Mashiach's at her door and the sparks are finished, so we're ready to go. But be that as it may, Hasidah says that those elusive divine sparks, which are connected with all different types of divine energies, have fallen into everything. And the lower places receive the highest sparks of all. And when we're able to elicit those sparks from the lowest places, they give us the greatest spiritual strength. That's the reason it says that, for example, a person about Shuva has a certain advantage that even a Sadiq doesn't have, because a Balshuva dipped in to some really bad places. And, and, and therefore, the Balshuva was able to connect to some of those divine sparks that fell to very low places. And when one does a true enough Shuva, those sparks are brought along with them. And that gives them power, that gives them strength, that the Sadiq never really connected to such a place. Says the Maimur that that's the idea that the Nisayon gives a person Das. We ask the question, so a person is tested and a person is very sorely tested and, and a person is able to stand up and find that inner strength and overcome the test. So the recipients of this tremendous power of Das, ability of connectivity, to connect to Ruchni is to connect to what they learn and they understand and so that their mind, their intellect comes into their emotions. Why? Because in the in the Nisyonis, in those tests that test us, there is those most powerful sparks of divinity that are hidden within those negative places, and when we stand up to them, and we persevere over those tests, we become the inheritors, if you will, of those divine sparks. They in turn strengthen us in our continued Avedis Hashem, and that's what it means that they give us dust. A basic uh, concept over here that Hasidus impresses upon us is that even when things look very bad and very negative, and, they're, uh, and they are bad and negative, but they, they have within them those sparks of Hashem. And the, the whole trick, the whole idea is to be able to elicit them. When we stand up against them and we persevere, then we become the ones who receive those divine sparks within them and they strengthen us within our Avaidah as well. That is the, fir the, the first basic concept of Nisayon, which brings Das. And the reason it brings Das is because that was the divine spark hidden within the Nisayon that one is able to receive. Okay. So what are the different types of tests that people face? What are, what are the tests? And, and in, in the Mimer, what he actually does is goes through the Torah and finds the places where the Torah uses the word test. And we'll see that all the different tests that we have can fall into one category or another. And what are they? So let's go in order. The first test we, we already mentioned, where the Torah calls it a test, is the test of the Akedah. When Hashem tests Avram Avinu, and he says, you know, bring your son up to the to the um, to the Mizbeach and Har Hamiriyah. So, if we want to give a name and a category, what is the category of the tests of the Akedah? What does Akedah represent? Akedah really represents 
When a person is asked to sacrifice something, to give away something dear or something special, something difficult to give away. And people are asked to sacrifice for themselves um, in all different ways. Sometimes a person has to sacrifice something that... A, a, a job, a good job. Sometimes it might be a good job, especially uh, famously when the um, when the first uh, when, the, when the Jews are coming to America in the uh, what is it, in the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And one of the biggest tests that you hear about it was that to get a job where a person could be a shemer Shabbos was something that people had to sacrifice tremendously for. And many times people had to lose one job and a second and a third. It's just an example because it was a famous period of history in America where that was an Isoyim. But if you think about it, that's the, that's the test that represents self-sacrifice. There's something that I need, there's something that's important to me, that's dear to me. Sometimes I might have a talent, that that talent is very wonderful, but it's against the Torah. It can't be used in the way that I would typically use it. And a person, the Torah tells a person that this is forbidden, and it becomes a question of, will one sacrifice that which is close to them, which is dear to them? And in the case of Avraham Avinu, it was, he was called upon in his mind to sacrifice his son. Um, in communist Russia, was sacrificed to you know for terror mitzvahs, and everyone can translate for themselves. But there's the concept of sacrificing something that's close and dear to me. That was that's the first nisoyin that the Torah introduces us to, and calls it a nisoyin, as the pasuk says in Parshas Vayera, "Volikim nisa es Avraham, Hashem tested Avraham." Okay, so that's category one of Nisoyim. There's another category of Nisoyimus, which is, and it's mentioned in the Torah, in Chumash Shemos, Parshat B'Shalach, the Jewish people came to a, um, they're traveling in the Midbar, and they come to a place, and there's no water to drink. Right? And the Pasuk says, Visham Nisohu, their God tested them. What's the test here? Here, we're not asked to sacrifice something. Here's the test of tsaris, of difficulties. And it doesn't need explanation what tsaris and what difficulties are, and whether it's difficulties in health areas or difficulties with, um, with, uh, with, uh, with not having the basic needs of a person or the parnasa or whatever it is. These are the difficulties of life, the challenges of life. And challenges of life and difficulties is an asylum. It's an Isayim because how am I going to deal with it? Am I going to go to pieces? I'm going to be an angry person? I'm going to be a rebellious person? Am I going to lose my faith? Am I going to lose my, my simcha? Or am I going to face the difficulties of life, the tzaras of life, with bitachon and with optimism and with the ability of being strong and even being happy? Kabbalah sayisurim ba'ava, b'simcha, something, which is a whole thing to talk about for itself. I don't want to get lost in that subject. But this becomes the category of nisyoinais of tzaras. And in fact, there's an entire sefer in Tanakh that really expresses that idea. And that's, of course, the sefer of Eov. Eov is the one who represents, he's the, the poster child, so to speak, for tzaras. The whole story of Eov is a story of a person who had just tzaras on every side. Family and friends and parnasa and health and everything. And that becomes a totally different type of Nisoyan. If you think about it, that Nisoyan and the Nisoyan of the Akedah is two totally different types of Nisoyanists. Avram, the Akedah wasn't about Saris. Akedah was, am I willing to sacrifice for Hashem when He's asking something of me? That's the Akedah. Eov is, 
the Nisayon of Tsaris, something that we know much too much about. And that is the second category of Nisayonis that the Torah tells us about. Then comes a third category. And this is going to be something that might be a little bit surprising. Where does the Torah tell, use the word Nisayon again? It says, by Matan Torah. That Hashem revealed Himself to us by Matan Torah with all of the glory and all of the beauty and all of the miraculous nature of Matan Torah. Why? Says the Pasuk. Ki nasos eschem boho elokim. It was in order to test you that Hashem came to you by Matan Torah. Now this gives room for pause. Why is that a test? If Hashem is giving us the greatest revelation of all time, if everyone is cured, if it's the wonderful revelation of Matan Torah, why does the Torah call that a test? And again, we turn to Ramban, that, 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 that great commentator to the Torah, and he says something beautiful, something magnificent. He says, the, mat, the test of Matan Torah is, I'll, I'll quote his words, Im yoisifu al When Hashem gives you so much good, how are you going to respond? That's a test as well. We can be recipients of tremendous good and therefore feel, wow, Hashem gave me all that. What am I doing for Hashem? How am I adding? How am I paying back? How am I showing my appreciation? How am I giving back for all the goodness that I'm receiving? That's, of course, standing up and, do, and accepting the goodness in the best way. Or we could accept a lot of goodness and begin taking it for granted, and even slacking off. And we know that just like there is the Nisayon, the test of poverty and difficulty, many times there is the test of affluence. The exact opposite, I've received everything, everything is wonderful. That turns into a test as well. Says the Rambam, that that's what the Pasuk means when it says that Hashem revealed Himself to you and Hashem chose you from among all the nations, and Hashem gave this tremendous revelation of Matan and that was also a test. That you're being tested to see how are you going to respond, how are you going to reciprocate to such tremendous goodness that's showered upon you. So that becomes category three of Nisyanis, right? Category number one was the Akedah. And that was, that's the test of when we're called upon to sacrifice something special, dear, close, important to us. Sacrifice, uh, Nisayon number two is the Nisayon of tsaris, of difficulties, of pain, of affliction, in all different forms. How are we going to deal and handle difficulties of life that inevitably people go through? How does one stand up and deal with them? And finally, on the other side of the spectrum, number three is the Nisayon of goodness that Hashem showers upon us. And that's number three. Then we have number four. One second. Ah, number four is a whole different type of nisayon, and that is nisayon of negative desires, negative desires, wants, lusts that are forbidden, and that could be a very, very powerful nisayon. And if we think about it, it's really a totally different category than A, B, and C. Right? We're talking about something totally different now. When a person has a tremendous desire for something, that is forbidden. And it could be different for different people what their desires might be. 
But the concept of a strong desire and want for something that's forbidden is something that, that many people, most people, all people know about in one form or another. Perhaps most famous for this type of desire, even a great, great person, would be the story of David HaMelech. According to the simple pshat, we have David HaMelech and Bas Sheva, which is that which symbolizes the nisayon of tremendous desire that's forbidden. In fact, David HaMelech says in Tehillim, and the entire Tehillim really is David HaMelech doing tshuva for that, for that sin of David and Bat Sheva. But David in Tehillim says, B'chaneni Hashem v'naseni. Hashem, test me. And in the, in the, in the Gemara, David HaMelech is very much critiqued for that. David HaMelech felt so strong in his resolve, in his Kedusha, that he says, Hashem, send me any test. I'm stronger than any test. And Hashem says, that's a bad request to ask for. In fact, every morning in davening, we say, We ask Hashem every morning, don't test me. Because even if we are strong, a test could be stronger. And we don't look for tests. We totally don't look for tests. So the test of desire and overcoming a very, very powerful negative desire in the heart is the fourth type of test that a person is tested with. Okay, so now we're up to, we have number four. And in case you thought we heard about all the different types of tests there are, there's number five. And number five is the test that we started the conversation with, and that's the test of the Navi Sheker, of that negative, that false prophet who looks like a tzaddik and has followers and has prophesied successfully perhaps for years, and one day turns around and is telling us things that are against the Torah. And the Torah says, don't listen to it. Don't, don't listen. It's a, it's a false prophet. And then the Torah says those words that we started with, Ki Hashem eschem ladas. Hashem is testing you to see or, or to give you that das, that level of das. What kind, what kind of nisoyon is the nisoyon of the negative prophet? Right? It's not a question of sacrifice, sacrificing something of myself. It's also not saris. It's also not that I received something very great from Hashem. It's also not the lustful desires. So what is the category? What, what's the type of test of the false prophet? So Hasidah says, it's when our faith is tested. It's a test of our emuna. Again, totally different than all the other four tests that we just talked about. Something doesn't add up in my faith system, in my emuna. On the other hand, on the one hand, this person looks holy. This person looks holy. Their behaviors are holy. They're prophetic. This looks like a very spiritual person. And then the person is going against the Torah. It's confusing. And in many ways, the hardest test is this one. Because my emuna gets rattled. I'm confused. I don't know what to believe. I'm not struggling with a desire. I'm not struggling with a sacrifice. I'm not suffering with with tzaras. I'm suffering with internal confusion where my belief itself is being challenged. In our generation, there's no one who hasn't spoken to someone or heard or thought about certain basic questions in Amuna. Like most, I think most famously in our generation, how could the Holocaust happen? Right? How could the Holocaust happen is something that people struggle with their entire life. And it's not as if I'm going to suggest an answer either. So when a person struggles with that test 
it's a test of their faith itself. My, my faith is being challenged. I don't, on the one hand, I believe in Hashem. And I believe Hashem is good. And I believe Hashem is just. And yet this happens and this doesn't make any sense. I can't, it doesn't fit at all with anything I learned or understood or felt about Emunah. So my Emunah is being challenged. And this becomes a whole different category of tests. Questions in my Emunah, questions in my faith. And no, we don't have the answer to every question. And if you don't have an answer, then that's challenging. And if it's challenging, then my faith is like, how do I deal with this? And my faith is shaken. How am I going to respond? How am I going to live on? What am I going to do next? So, this, this is it. These are the five categories of Nisayon. The way Hasidus breaks it down based on the Psukim. Again, each one of these five categories is talked about in the Torah. And the word Nisayon is used by these five categories when the Torah actually talks about them. It's interesting. The Torah calls the Mon a Nisayon. <clears throat> Why was the Mon a Nisayon? What was the Nisayon about the Mon? Or better asked, into which of the five categories would we put the Nisayon of the Mon? Um, one could argue. You can argue back and forth. You could say the Mon was maybe the uh, Nisayon of great goodness that was being given to us. Like Matan Torah, that Ramban said was the Nisayon to see how we'll respond. I think that was number three on our list. Right? Could be the Mon is that. It could also be the Mon, on the other hand, might be affliction in a sense. Because they never saw, it says that although the man was a very wonderful gift from, from heaven, it all had the same color, looked exactly the same way, which for some people ruined their whole lunch. Every, and it's, you know, I'm eating the same thing every day, even if the taste was different. And it was difficult for them. But really, Hasidah says, man is not that or that. It's number five. It was an Isayan of faith. Why? Why was the man an Isayan of faith? So Hasidah says because the, the man had a very unique mitzvah to it, which was every day you were not allowed to leave anything over for the next day. That means that you went to sleep every night and you had no idea how you're getting anything tomorrow. You had to put your faith 100% in Hashem. And that's something that goes very against human nature. We're all into putting away a nest, you know, for a nest egg and for tomorrow and for the next day. And we get all out of shape if we don't know, you know what's happening in two weeks or in three weeks or in two years. The man said, you're not going to know. Hashem will provide and you must go to sleep knowing that tomorrow there's only one way you're going to have anything if Hashem is going to send you man. And that's difficult on, on our faith system. That challenges our faith every single day to think, that tomorrow, I hope it's going to be a good day, it's dependent on one thing only, Hashem. And that's the truth. The emphasis is that tomorrow is going to be a good day is dependent only on Hashem. But we like setting ourselves up. You know, we trust in Hashem, but I also want to have a bank account to make sure. And the month said there's no bank account. The month says tomorrow Hashem is here. That's it. So therefore, the man is again dealing with our faith itself, testing our resolve in our minds, in our hearts, in our faith of Hashem. So it also goes into category number five. And finally, we talked about the Akedah. And the Akedah also, um, the Akedah also, we said Akedah was category number one, which was about sacrificing something special to me, right? And then Akedah is Avram Avinu and his beloved son. 
So it's giving away of myself. But the Mimer says, really, Akeda also is not only number one. And based on a, any uh, question, there's a famous question, which is, we always talk about the Akeda as being whose great merit. We talk about the Akeda, we talk about Avram Avinu went to the Akeda. When really, the question is, why don't we talk about Yitzchak? Yitzchak was the one who was climbing onto the altar. Now, so some people say, well, Yitzchak was only three years old, which is not true. Yitzchak was 37 years old. So if a 37-year-old man is going onto the altar, it's not because his 137-year-old father is forcing him on. You realize, so Yitzchak was agreeing to be Meister Nefesh, literally for Hashem. And yet, the the schus of the Akedah is always attributed to Avram more than Yitzchak. Why is that? There's different answers given to that question. One of the answers given to this question was by a great tzaddik. His name was Rebenachem Mendel of Horeduk, or Rebenachem Mendel of Vitebsk, just different cities where he lived. Rebenachem Mendel was the oldest disciple of the Magid of Mizrich. Um, he was a colleague of the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, but such a respected and venerated colleague that when the Magad of Mizrich passed away, initially the Alter Rebbe accepted Rabbi Menachem Mendel as his new Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe wanted to accept Rabbi Menachem Mendel as his new Rebbe, but then Rabbi Menachem Mendel went off to Eretz Yisrael and the Alter Rebbe became the Rebbe in White Russia. So we're talking about a tremendous, tremendous study. So this Rabbi Menachem Mendel Haradokir, or Rabbi Menachem Mendel Vitebsker, again, both names for the same person. So he writes in his Sefer, Sefer is called Preharitz. He writes that the reason why Avram is the one who's always attributed the schus of the Akedah more than Yitzchak is, he says, because for the Avos, Avram and Yitzchak, Mesiras Nefesh didn't come difficult. Uh, they would give everything for Hashem in a heartbeat. It, that was, it was a given. It was an obvious. That wasn't the real Nusayun of the Akedah. Rather, what was, was that Avram was getting mixed messages from Hashem. Confusing messages. Because initially, one parsha before the Akedah, Hashem tells Avram, Ki bi Your continuation is going to be through Yitzchak. Avram was promised by Hashem that he was going to have a nation, a continuation through Yitzchak. And then Hashem turns around sometime later and says, Oh, by the way, take Yitzchak and you know, bring him up as a sacrifice. Which was an, an obvious contradiction to what Hashem had just promised him. So Avram seemingly had every right to say, uh, Hashem, question, explanation please, this doesn't make any sense. But Avram didn't. Because if Hashem told him something, he did it. He's an Evet Hashem. That was the greatness of the Akedah. Says Ramanach Mendel of Haradok. Not that Avram was willing to sacrifice himself or sacrifice his son, or that Yitzchak was willing to sacrifice himself. For these tzaddikim of that caliber to give themselves for Hashem's command wasn't, it was, it was an obvious thing. It was an automatic. The greatness was that his amuna was never ruffled. Though Hashem was telling him things that clearly didn't, couldn't fit one with the other. He can't be your continuation while you put him to death. But Avram didn't let his mind wander. If Hashem told me something, that's what I'm doing. Says Hasidus, if so, the Akedah really belongs in category number five. It was a test of faith. His faith was being challenged. Not only what was being challenged was what are you giving away, his actual faith was being challenged by getting these 
confusing messages from Hashem. So, to, uh, to summarize, to summarize, we have our five different types of Nisyonis. And I think if we think in our own lives and we know our own Nisyonis, they all fall into one of these five. Again, whether it's the uh, Nisyon of sacrificing of ourselves for Hashem, something that Hashem wants from us that's difficult for us to give away or give up, that's number one. Number two is the Nisayan of Tsaris, all different types of Tsaris and difficulties that we go through in life, and, and it's up to us how are, going, how are we going to respond to them. That's number two. Number three is the opposite. The goodness that we receive, the blessings that we receive, the plentifulness that we receive, how do we reciprocate? How do we respond when we're recipients of special brachas and special goodness of Hashem? That's number three. Number four, the nisyonis of desire, of lust, of feelings, of wanting things that Hashem says is forbidden. How, are, how do we deal with those difficulties of desire? And number five, when our amuna itself is challenged. In the various ways, in the examples that we gave here of the Navi Sheker, in the example of Avraham Avinu in the story of the Akedah, in the Mon, where they were told, you have to put your faith solely in Hashem and not leave food over for tomorrow. These are all nisyonis of our emune itself, of our faith itself. Says the Mimer. Though all nisyonis make us stronger, and all nisyonis make us bigger and, 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 and more powerful in our Yiddishkeit, because we're able to reach into those divine sparks in the Nisoyim. And all of us give us the gift, all of them give us the gift of Das, as we said earlier, that more than anything else, the Nisoyim strengthen our Das, which is our connectivity, our ability to connect to what we learn and connect to what we understand, and that it should affect us. But of the five Nisoyim, which more than any other strengthen our Das? If we think about all the different five categories, which one is the one where the Torah says, Ki Hashem das. that Pasuk that we began with, says by which one? I know you're all mute. By number five. By the Novi Sheker. Why? Because though all of these Nisyonis, none of them are easy and all of them are difficult and take a lot of effort, but there's one that directly challenges our faith. And therefore, that more than anything else strengthens our faith. When we're able to deal with Nisoya number five, which is that direct challenge to our Amuna itself, because again, in the story of that Novi Sheker, or the questions about the Holocaust, or the, or the contradictions that sometimes appear in our mind, like the contradiction of Avram Avinu. Hashem told him one thing and then he saw something else. My emunah is, is being challenged. When one is able to find the inner strength to put their faith in Hashem even then, then even more so than in the other four categories of Nisyonis, that strengthens their das, their connection to Hashem, and their ability to feel more strongly connected to Hashem than ever before. And that's why it's specifically by this Nisayon where, where this Pasuk is written. This Pasuk that we began with, that we said is the focus of the Shir. Um, Hashem, eschem lodas. Hashem is testing a person in order to bring that person the gift of Das, says by that Novi Sheker, by that 
that false prophet, the one who looks holy and isn't holy, and again, my emunah is being challenged, the, the, um, the ultimate gain of that is more than anything else strengthening our das and our connection, our ability to connect properly to Hashem. And I'll finish with what it says, that the word nisayon in Hebrew also means to be uplifted, to be raised up high. The word in Hebrew for a flag is a nace. A nace is also a miracle. It's interesting that the word nisayon and the word nace is the same root. The word and a miracle, a nace, all means to be raised up high. Because ultimately there's nothing that raises us and makes us stronger and makes us more proud of our Yiddishkeit and connected to our Yiddishkeit than when we're able to be oimid, when we're able to stand up to these nisayonis. And therefore, Chassidah says nisayonis aren't easy. And as I said this morning, I said that we say every morning that we ask Hashem that we're not looking for nisayonis, we're good, we're good with what we have, right? We never want to put ourselves into a situation of nisayon and be brought into a situation of nisayon. But nevertheless, they happen. And ultimately, we believe they, like everything else, happens from Hashem and only for our good, only to strengthen us and make us stronger and closer to Hashem than even before when we're able to be Oymid bin Nisayin. I'll say one, we still have a few more minutes, I'll say one last point about Nisayin. And that is, differently than, you know, we have, there's, 365 negative commandments. There's a lot of Averas. What's the difference between an Avera and an Anisayan? Right? There's a lot of things that, you know, there's food that's not kosher, and there's places that are forbidden, and there's things that are forbidden, and there's whatever. There's, there's a lot of different things that, there's a lot of no-nos. There's a lot of negative commandments. Negative commandments is a certain thing that Hashem says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Nisayan, more than anything else, is in our, is in our mind. The test aspect of something, the desire aspect for something, is something that's in my mind and it's in my imagination. And more often than not, even when the Nisoyan feels so terrible, when we're able to stand up to it, we see that there was nothing there. It's just something that Hashem created to make it difficult for me in order that I should overcome it and be stronger than ever before. And let's think back to that first Nisoyan of Avram Avinu. What was the big test? <clears throat> that Avram is asked to sacrifice his son. But we all know the truth. He was never asked to sacrifice his son. Which means that famous great biggest Nisoyan was only in his imagination. So many times something seems so difficult and then when we're strong... When we find that inner strength, we realize there was nothing there. I really, really, really wanted that. And then when I don't and I move right on, it's gone. Because a nisayon is just something that was created in order for me to prove my strength. As soon as I did, there's nothing there anymore. Interestingly, going back to the story of the nisayon of the Akedah. So we already said... Avram has this terrible desire to sacrifice his son. But we're all standing on the sidelines saying, Avram, don't worry, you're not going to sacrifice your son. It's all a big mistake, right? Then what happens, the Medrash says, a pretty famous Medrash, especially if uh, you remember from kindergarten or something, um, where Avram is going to the Akedah and suddenly there's a pool of water in the way, a stream of water. 
the matter says the Satan created a stream of water in front of him to stop him. And what does Abraham do? do? He forges right through. As he comes to the places that it becomes very deep, the water disappears. Madrash. And the same thing, there's all these types of obstacles that appear in the way. And as he forges onward, he says, this is where Hashem said I'm going, that's where I'm going, the obstacles disappear. All of this Madrash is there to tell us that that is the nature of Nesiyonis. The nature of Nesiyonis is things that aren't real. It's in our mind. It's in our heart. And that way it's different than Averis. A, a, a piece of non-kosher food that's on the table is there. It's real non-kosher food is really on the table. It's not in my heart. It's not in my mind. It's there and Hashem says, don't eat it. So it's, it's, it's an actual creation of Hashem that Hashem says, it's a wonderful creation. I created it for a reason, but not for eating. There's other purposes for it. But regular Averis are entities. They're entities that are forbidden. A Nisayun is not an entity. A Nisayun is my feeling about an entity, is my desire for an entity, my feelings about a situation. And because they're not a real entity, they're only there for one thing, to me, for me to forge ahead, break through them, notice how they're not an entity, and receive within myself the divinity that was in that non-entity that was there for one reason alone. To become part of me and strengthen me, give me that gift of Das, bring me closer and stronger to Hashem, more uplifted than ever before. So, after saying all this, that doesn't mean the Nisoyanists are easier. But, and we don't ask for them, and we don't want them. But we have to know them for what they are. When we learn this and think about this and understand this, we begin understanding what they are. And they are, what they really are, is nothing. With tremendous power in them. To look very scary and big and confusing, but ultimately that can be harnessed and become a tremendously powerful asset in our own Avedas Hashem to become even closer and stronger connected and that the things that we learn are able to connect to us and in a much more powerful way and lead to connecting to Hashem in a much greater way than before. And that's why Hashem, who ultimately, as we know, is, is a loving Father, even when things are difficult, this is a gift as well and a gift that when we exercise correctly, we're able to receive from it this tremendous gift that it has within itself. Thank you.